Hi, I'm James Mitrick, Director of the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture, and joining me today are Greg and Jacob Rowland in Washington County, Indiana, to discuss the upcoming Purdue Farm Management Tour on July 11th at Rowland Farms. More information about the tour is available at purdue.edu slash commercial ag. Greg, let's kick this off by just getting a little bit of history for Roland Farms and tell us a little bit about the background. I know your family transitioned initially up from Tennessee to Indiana, and then over time, things kind of transitioned, became more of a corn and soybean-centered operation, and and you and your wife, Jenny, started farming full-time at what point in time? Yeah, in the mid to late 1930s, my dad and family moved up here from Tennessee, looking for a little better life. We got married in 1987. I had always been farming, and she came from a farm, too. But, yeah, 1989 is when we took over the operation. Initially, you were a pretty conventional tillage kind of a corn and soybean operation. You were concerned about soil productivity and soil health really in a pretty early time frame, maybe even before people started using the phrase soil health. And you've transitioned your farming operation from a conventional tillage operation to one that's really heavily focused on the use of cover crops to improve soil health and productivity. Tell us a little bit about that evolution, how you got started and how that evolved over time. Yeah, some of this ground was pretty rough. It needed a lot of attention. It needed lime, get the pH right. We did a lot of tillage, moldboard plowing back in the 70s. We've seen the erosion, you know, that came from all the tillage. So we Got away from the moldboard plow and we would just disc ground. And then when the 7,000 conservation drill came out, that was really a big game changer because that equipment was a big step in the ability to do the no-till. Then some new chemistries and stuff come along and it just really made sense. And then we kind of moved into doing some cover crop 12, 15 years ago. And we seen the benefit of that right away. We went through the struggles like everybody does of getting up cover crops on in time and getting some growth in the fall. It took us a while to get going. And then we have gotten to where we have a guy that concentrates on drilling cover crop for us as we harvest. We shorten up maturities on our corn and soybeans both. We got to plant soybeans as early as we can, like that in the ground by mid-April. And lets us get the cover crop planted there in September where we're going to go to corn and that's let us use more legumes focusing on trying to grow at least a portion of our nitrogen needs. So from there we really stepped up and let our covers grow longer and planted into more biomass. There's definitely some challenges with that. The transition moving to cover crops was not a single jump. It's really been an evolution. You've continually yes. modified the cover crops you're using, the timing on planting, the timing on when you terminate the crops, and even how you terminate the crops. Because one of the transitions yes. you've made here the last couple of years is trying to move to a crimping operation as opposed to terminating with, for example, herbicides. Yes, absolutely. It's quite a detailed process and all the details really matter. The more still learning every year is new and me and Jacob's already done a lot of discussion on next year's planting season. Jacob, you had a desire to join your parents' farming operation full-time, but knew the farm wasn't quite large enough to support another family. Tell us a little bit about how expanding Roland Farms to really accommodate your entry into the farm full-time. Sure. So 
we sat down several times before trying to figure out how I could get back onto the farm. If we should try to get more land, rent more land, buy land. But every time we sat down and looked at it, it never seemed to pencil out. But that's when we started thinking a little bit out of the box about livestock. There came an opportunity with River Farms and this cage-free laying operation, and it seemed like it would be a good fit. We penciled out the numbers, and it looked like it would work, and it would provide a steady income other than the grain. And we could also use the litter, so that was just an added bonus. That's the direction we decided to go. So you've put in an egg-laying operation. Tell us a little bit about the details and, and the technology, et cetera. Sure. So, yeah, we've got a cage-free aviary barn. It's a sing single barn. It's two levels and houses right at 100,000 hens. Got an attached processing area where we process approximately 95,000 eggs a day. A cooler attached where semi-trucks come and load them out. It's a pretty streamlined operation. It's really neat to see how the eggs flow through. We can usually get the eggs packed four or five hours. So when I hear those kind of numbers and I start thinking about how do you do that and also grow corn and soybeans, because when you're time to plant corn, it's time to plant corn, time to plant soybeans, et cetera. How do you, how do you manage that? Yeah. So you've, you've got to have good help. So I, I do have a, a full-time guy that, that helps me out. It is, it is like milking cows. It's, it's an everyday, everyday thing. So once you, once you get into that rhythm and routine, you kind of know what's expected and, and know what you got to do every morning. But, you know, that's, that's part of it. You got to get up early and, and get it done so you can get out, of the, out to the field as soon as it dries off to, to get to planting or, or harvesting or whatever season it is. So that was really one of your considerations was bringing in an enterprise that actually integrated with your existing family's cropping operation, right? I mean, that was a key point for you in terms of thinking about enterprises you might enter into, right? Absolutely. This enterprise definitely provided me a, a stable income where I wouldn't have to rely solely on grain farming to make it work. And plus, it doesn't take up a lot of crop acres, you know, we're only taking up a couple acres of crop ground to put a barn like this in. Also, the incorporation of the manure is a key thing where we've been able to take that and really cut our costs on the grain farm. Yeah, so one of the things we'll talk about at the tour is the way you've gone about storing that manure to really enhance its productivity, make it a higher value utilizer for the crops, and also minimize maybe concerns about how that manure is handled in the off-season, right? Exactly. A couple of things to maximize our usage of the manure, how the barn is set up, the manure goes directly out of the barn off of belts, which I run every day, and it's stored in an enclosed building so it never goes outside until I'm ready to spread it. So I also invested in a manure spreader truck, a Myers bed put on that. We can haul straight out of the barn to the field and not have to dump it in the field. And the bed just does a nice even job of spreading and we feel like that there's value there compared to other 
methods of application. We can really dial the rate in and not over apply too. So that's something that we're looking at as well, as far as environmentally. That sounds great. So at the tour on July 11th, we'll discuss more of the challenges you faced and how you're able to overcome them in terms of joining the farm full-time. So thanks to Greg and Jacob Rowland for taking time to visit with me about the upcoming Purdue Farm Management Tour at Rowland Farms on July 11th in Washington County, Indiana. Thank you. Looking very much forward to it. And as a reminder, more information about the tour is available at purdue.edu slash commercialag. On behalf of the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture, I'm James Minter. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.